0: Hi, I'm Francis Katzen, and welcome to my podcast, The World of Real Estate. In this series, we will explore the world's largest asset class and how it plays out on a global scale. Joining me today is the CEO of Brokerage for the Western Region of Douglas Elliman, Stephen Cutler. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Hi, Fran. Hi, Thank Stephen. Thank you for having me. I'm laughing like that because, uh, well, let's just face it. Stephen was my manager at one point when I started in the business. My first day at Douglas Elliman, you were the first day on the job. As it was. <laughs> well, here we go. You are now the bigwig, the CEO of brokerage for Western Region of Douglas Elliman. Can you tell us a little bit about your current position at DE? Uh,
1: my current position is to grow our business for everything west of the Mississippi, <laughs> which I don't know what that it really going? means. It's going great. Um, California is a big part of what we're doing. So Mm -hmm. we've grown our business in California over the past four or five years to about $3.9 billion in production.
0: Wow. that's 20 plus
1: offices and about 850 sales professionals in California.
0: Now was that hard to do when you were coming to a new land?
1: I just did it, you know what, I woke up one morning and blinked my eyes and it all happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah, it's required a lot of work. It requires going out and understanding the markets understanding what the landscape is like there, what the competitors are like. Who do you want to partner with? Do you want to grow your business organically by office by office and growing it slowly? Or do you want to find somebody that you can partner with and acquire and then have that great magic that happens if you find somebody else that you can work with that's just like you, and I mean, you, in companies, yeah. you know?
0: Got it. Well, you yeah. were in for... You were a top producing agent. You were number two in the country, I think, at one point.
1: For like a minute.
0: Oh, boy. But my point is is that you were basically a specialist of the East Coast. So moving to the West must have been quite daunting, I would imagine.
1: Well, I had to change my wardrobe.
0: <laughs> we yeah. went to kicks, didn't we? We
1: went to kicks from Leather sole Shoes. That nice. was a big one. Um, yeah, it required... You know, it's interesting. When we had the business in California when we started, we were operating it remotely. We had people that were there, but really? I was in New York... Wow. Um, and that's tough. Howard called me and said we're not going to be able to grow this thing unless we have somebody that's going to be there that really understands how to do it mm-hmm. understands the culture of element and figures out how we're going to grow the business and become as big on the west coast as we are on the east coast so that took some time wow. it took some time to really understand but it. it
0: but you've done it in a short window of time I mean it's really been quite quick that you well I had to some it. advice
1: from Howard on this mm-hmm. you can either grow it organically which is gonna take time, like we did in Florida, the Hamptons, other markets where Mm -hmm. office by office we grew it, or you can find a company that you can acquire. Find somebody else in a company that has the same culture, great leadership, a really good footprint, because we wanted to be in all the luxury markets in California, Mm -hmm. and if you can find that, then the magic happens, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so we found Peter Hernandez, Telus Properties, and we were able to, you know, Peter and I spent a year together before we closed to really get to know each other and understand if it was gonna work. And you see so many of these things happen where companies acquire other companies mm-hmm. and you have a lot of breakage, as they say, mm-hmm. right? You have breakage, agents leave because they don't believe in the new brand, they don't understand it, mm-hmm. but Peter's brand, it had the same DNA as element of a family. It was run like a family, it was agent-centric. Mm-hmm. The agents were the clients, as Howard always says, and Peter ran his company the same way. And so when we went and we, and when Peter and I met, and I met with every owner on the west side as they call the west side so in la beverly hills you have all these companies most of the owners are operating where they're also selling Mm -hmm. and we wanted to find an owner that wasn't selling that was focused on running their business not selling houses
0: how did you find tell us
1: i went and i just called every owner and i said i want to have lunch
0: are you serious
1: yeah i just i met with every owner there i wanted to just get to know them right so you get to and you have these lunches and you start Mm -hmm. understanding who they are i went to some round tables where their owners were all together and when I met Peter, within 10 minutes of meeting Peter, and you know Peter, mm-hmm. I knew that it would work. I knew that if we could figure out the the dynamics of it, the business part of it, putting together the deal, that the companies would work. And we had so little breakage hmm. after we closed. I but mean, that's you're... also
0: because you were a good manager, so I'm sure you were able to create a sense of... Um... Connection for them, even if it was a new brand.
1: Yeah, you can, but you still have to worry about like, what do they think of us? You know, this is big Douglas mm-hmm. Elliman coming out here, and you know, they only know us from the East Coast, and they knew us a little bit from LA because we were already there before we acquired him. But everybody's going to have their own preconceived notions of who you are. I think the important part was that Peter had done this before in his previous life, working at, for other real estate companies where he'd done acquisitions. Mm-hmm. He knew how they could fail miserably, he knew what to avoid. And I had done it enough where Howard, you know, what we'd done it in New York with some companies, we'd also brought a lot of agents in. So between that, I think both, and also the leadership, Kenny Haber, everybody else behind this that put the deal together, looked for all the roadblocks that were there, and were able to say, okay, how do we get to the next point? Hmm. And you have to wrap your arms around your agents. How
0: That's do you do key. that?
1: You know, if you've not ever been an agent, it's hard to run a real estate company. Hmm. When you really know what it's like to wake up every day, and as you said, the juggle is real, right? Sure how do you do this every day? How do you wake up every day when you know, don't know where the next dollar comes from? And mm-hmm. how do you make it happen? So if you understand that and you understand where these people that are doing this, these very talented people are coming from and how the fear that they have and all the same worries that everyone has about where am I going to, how am I going to do this, then you can start to deliver great things to them. And, yeah, they need the basics of how do I run my marketing operations and how do I get the website to work. But it's really digging down deeper into, I mean, my job, quite frankly, is to grow people that are working within the company and recruit new people into the company that I can grow. Take them to the next level. Like when you meet with somebody and you're going to recruit them, I think the difference between us and probably some of the newer companies that are out there, I don't have to pay anybody to come work for me. And someone said it to me once. It was outside of my business. One of my kids said, Dad, you don't pay anybody to come work for you. They come to work for Douglas Hellman because they want to be there.
0: It's 100% true.
1: And so when you pay people to come to a place, they're coming for money. They're not coming for the, all the right reasons. And they're going to leave for probably the same reason. 100%. We don't do that. And I think with us, it's, they really can see that we take people and take them to another level. I mean, look at you. All right, like I'm so proud of you. Right? You know, I mean, look at where you started that day when we were sitting together and oh, you didn't know where it was going to happen nope, from. I was right? in
0: tears with the Kleenex. Right,
1: and now you're in the top ten in the company parentally every year. Right, so how do you get there like that? How do you do Stress. that?
0: Stress. Stress. Hustle, baby.
1: Yeah, hustle.
0: Mm-hmm. And fear.
1: <laughs> and and also some coaching, right?
0: Yeah, coaching. but you know, it's amazing. It, it's. Uh... It really means a lot when someone actually cares about you as a broker. I think it's really tough when they don't.
1: We just had our convention, and people were coming up and talking to us, and they said, you know, and these are new people that had joined us, and Mm -hmm. they said, what I saw from you immediately as a company is that you care. Mm -hmm. And that starts with Howard throughout the entire company. It cascades down, and he always says that agents are our clients, and you have to remember that every day.
0: I love that philosophy. How did you get started in real estate?
1: So... I was in the restaurant business before. Stop I, it. I did. yeah, I, I had actually I, I had left college to go and move to Aspen, Colorado with my dad, and we <laughs> opened up a business <laughs> there. Did that for a couple of wow. years. It was fun. Got to ski a lot. And <laughs> um, I just felt this pull to go back to New York. <laughs> I, I wanted to be back in the city, and I came back to the city, and my dad had been in real estate his whole life, and he knew um, a guy named Hank Sofer. Wow. that ran a very big rental business in New York at the time. This is back in the 80s when you You're couldn't rent an apartment. You're dating yourself, da- Oh, I'm dating myself. And uh, Hank was the biggest rental broker in town. You couldn't rent an apartment without going through a broker at that time. Mm-hmm. There was no internet. It was ads mm-hmm. in the newspaper. So I got into that. I started um, as an agent. I then became a manager of one of the businesses within that company, managing an office. And then um, Howard Milstein bought Douglas Elliman, And I knew the Milsteins from the rental business. And I knew some of the people there. And I went and I interviewed. This is in 1991. I think we had about 285 agents in the company in 1991. And I went through about four or five interviews before I got a desk. And there were 22 (laughs) of us that were doing rentals at the time. And that's how I got into the business. I was doing rentals. And we were at 650, actually 1015 Madison originally, then 654 Madison and then originally f- 575 but I got into the business as a rental agent in 1991.
0: If I'm not mistaken, I remember that you sat in the HR lounge of some of the biggest banks in New York for years until someone would let you in and meet with them to pre- become their go-to rental relocation specialist. That was it.
1: I didn't have any contacts. I didn't grow up in New York. So I didn't have the connection with, you know, going to school. It was brilliant.
0: No one, I mean, no one ever was able to do that and no one has really done it since. You were like one of the few brokerage groups or teams that dominated through that business model.
1: I just waited until they said yes, because, you know, none of us that are in this business will take no for an answer.
0: That's impressive. Seriously impressive. What is it like to transition from East Coast to West Coast besides the fact that the bagels suck? Let's be serious. And the pizza. Yeah, probably.
1: Um, I think that the biggest transition is that the business is done differently first, right? So it's not an attorney state. Yeah, that's right. So we right. have escrow.
0: That's insane. And you guys write your own contracts. And I will
1: say this, and I'll own this right now. <laughs> the West Coast brokers work much harder.
0: Mm. I know that hurts. That really is a sensitive Because place. they're
1: taking it from not only the showings, which is different to begin with, right? But they have to take the deal all the way to close. Yeah, so but they get a
0: higher split.
1: <laughs> they do get a higher split, but they also spend a lot more money of their own on their marketing than an agent would. But agreed, they get a higher split. But here's what they... Their work doesn't really begin until there's an accepted offer and a signed contract. Wow! That's when the work begins. Okay. So really? The wow. bandwidth that you have to have to close <clears throat> the same amount of volume on the West Coast, you're spending, you're, you're going twice as fast because when you're an East Coast agent, you show the apartments, you get an accepted offer, which is done could be done over the phone. I mean, there's nothing even in writing in some cases. Eventually, you get to an accepted offer and you have contracts prepared, and then the attorneys go. And yes, you as an agent still have to shepherd that. But the real difference is that you have to do all the work as a sales agent once. And once you're working on that deal into a signed contract, then the work begins to go through the inspections and get everything done. So there's a lot that's involved. So I think that's probably a big transition to the West Coast. I think the other part is the pace.
0: <laughs> you so, mean you don't like that insane fly by the seat of your pants? I'm sorry, what lunch?
1: Well- I brought the New York pace there, I think, a little bit as well. I think it's a little bit of both. So our day starts <laughs> earlier because New York is already running, and so my day starts a lot earlier, mm-hmm. and it ends earlier usually as well. So by five o'clock on the <clears> West Coast, it's getting pretty quiet. Are People...
0: you serious? Yeah, five I mean, o'clock is lunch. I think for us,
1: as you know, running the business part, for the agents, they're still out showing, but my day starts at five or six in the morning. I'm already getting emails from the East Coast, and so I'm starting to operate. Got it. But um, so I think the pace was different. And getting our salespeople to maybe think a little bit more like East Coast brokers mm-hmm. in the pace, be a little bit more aggressive, um, you know, not that t- a, you know, typical California vibe, but a little bit of both.
0: That's a nice mix to have. Is it true that people on the West Coast live healthier?
1: I think that I'm living healthier. I hope that a lot of people are. But I think you are because it's also there. It's in front of you a lot more. It's beautiful. The weather's great every day. You want to be outside. Yeah, you want to exercise. You want to hike. The hiking's a big one. I liked. I didn't know about hiking and what hiking meant <laughs> until you got to California. But it's kind of like glam hiking.
0: What does that mean, glam hiking? We have to actually come
1: up with a hashtag for that, I think. I don't know if it's glam hiking, but we'll think of something good. Glam, yeah. Yeah, you go out on a Saturday and you go to one of the parks and you'll see... 500 people there are all hiking together <laughs> with their dogs and you know they have their headsets on and with their friends <laughs> and so it's a social thing.
0: That sounds quite nice. How has Los Angeles changed you?
1: I think that's part of it probably. It's <clears throat> it's being um, being outside I think is different. It's changed me in that I've learned to slow down. appreciate things a lot more and mm-hmm. also go slowly. It's you know it's not a marathon. I'm sorry, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Mm -hmm. And I think that in New York, you're sprinting all the time. That explains
0: my burnout. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're
1: sprinting for everything. It can wait sometimes. Everything doesn't have to happen at that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's changed me is that I've given that perspective. And I think working with Peter Hernandez, who's this exceptional person.
0: He's unbelievable. He's
1: changed me because my outlook on things is very different. You become very judgmental in New York of everything. It's <laughs> yeah, just part of it, you know. Stop yeah. It, it is. I mean, it's just there. It's like, you know, it's part of your DNA. Mm-hmm. And so stripping that down and giving room for people to have room to breathe a little bit and not expect things like, you know, you would send an email in New York City and you expect a response back in what, 2 minutes, 3 mm, minutes, yeah. yep, right? Yep. It's okay if it takes a couple hours sometimes. Ooh, you know? our clients it, would
0: have a heart attack on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I hear you. I would like to be able to do that. On a macro level, give us a rundown on the West Coast market, please.
1: So I think you know the, the West Coast market. It went through, I think, the same thing that the East Coast did for a while, where there was a slowdown. They even say like, if the East Coast, you know, if the East Coast gets a cold. The West Coast gets a sniffle. So it comes across the country. I think the financial markets get hit here first. Uh But LA's become much more of a a financial center as well. But we're really driven also by the entertainment business a lot. Mm -hmm. In the last two quarters, we've started experiencing and seeing growth. And we've had some major, major sales. We've had six or eight sales over $60 million last year in 2019. And that's coming a lot from the entertainment business. Mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos purchased it, which was just recently made public. Sixty-five million. million. Yeah. I mean, With that's, David Geffen. that's mega purchases, right? So, Lachlan, you're, you're Murdoch. Lachlan Murdoch as mm-hmm. well. And that's, again, entertainment money. Mm-hmm. So, we're seeing that the high net worth individuals they want to be in Los Angeles. They want that quality Trophy of life. Trophy property, too. Trophy properties and also quality of life.
0: Yep. I get that. Um, um, in Manhattan, single family homes are a rarity, you know, but obviously in LA, they are more common. One of the best value barometers for condos and co-ops is price per square foot here in New York. When working to determine the value of a single family home that's north of 5,000 square feet, what are some of the ways you guys are sizing that up?
1: Location, location, location.
0: Gotcha. Got it.
1: That's important. It's it's a little bit different than New York in that you know you can have a Park Avenue buyer that goes to Tribeca, right? I think you know, people right. are buying the building and the lifestyle now. You can probably say more to that, but I think that that's happened in New York City where you've seen that person that was cemented on Park Avenue suddenly looking to live in Tribeca. Yeah. It's like, wow. Yeah, we're you know, seeing changing, a huge
0: right? change of value, dollar per square foot for people who want to now be downtown. It's commanding more in some I th- ways. Yeah,
1: I think with us, it's probably... So we're starting to see the multifamily market, and I think we're going to talk about that a little bit. But we're seeing that people want... Trophy properties that could be by a, an architect, really, you know, a star architect, yep. as they say, but yep. really significant architectural properties drive the purchase. Um, the heritage of the property as well. I see could also be important. Like you see, like you know, the the, Geffen per, uh, the, the Bezos purchase was of the Samuel Goldman estate, right? right. So Samuel Goldman. So the, so mm-hmm. those things again are important to buyers. You you would see in some cases. So LA,
0: its heritage, its location, legacy, and legacy. Got it. Each geography comes with a different set of challenges and benefits. California specifically continues to deal with wildfires and water shortages as part of a global warming, or some people say doesn't exist. How is this impacted in the market that you deal with?
1: So I think that some of that has impacted the market, especially in Malibu, certain areas like that that experience the fires, Mm -hmm. where we're seeing that builders are building differently. There's actually a builder, there's a house right now in Malibu on Carbon Beach that can store up to twenty five thousand gallons of water in the house hmm. in a cistern and twenty thousand of that will be used for fire hydrants.
0: My so they're actually God. building that into
1: the process.
0: That's amazing. It's
1: also interesting to note that certain insurance companies have their own private fire departments now. So as part of your insurance policy, get you here. get certain coverage of for private fire coverage. As well. You do. <laughs> Stop. So only in LA baby. Oh, my
0: God. It's almost as impressive as Bezos buying with his own petrol pump or gas pump. For nearly 20 years now, big tech and dramatically increased, you know, the the tech scene has increased the values of homes in major markets in the West, including San Francisco, Seattle, L.A. and more. Can you tell us a little bit about this evolution and what it means for real estate in your mind?
1: So, you know, the media and entertainment industry, along with the tech industry, has pumped tens of billions of dollars into the Los Angeles markets. And a lot of the top sales that are occurring right now, as we said, mm. are occurring by captains of industry that are part of those markets. Those so
0: titans certainly are burning big money. They
1: are. They are, and we love it.
0: Can I just interject? Did you know that Bezos's purchase at $165 million was like 0.8% of his actual wealth? That's like the equivalent of $75,000 for a home. I mean, it was like. In context, of someone who's earning, I think, 100, it was Well, I insane. think it's also
1: interesting if you look at purchasing and if you look at where people began, let's say 20 years ago, if you were buying a trophy property. So let's look at it this way. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that I own this, because Howard has, has brought this up before in interviews. So somebody will purchase a boat for $100 million and spend one-tenth of their time on that boat for $100 million for an asset that's sitting in the water. But they were only spending twenty million or thirty million on a home. That's starting to reverse, and they're saying, "You know what? I am going to live in that home. That's where I am actually going to invest in an asset. That the boats, the planes, and all those things are great, but you are really spending a very small period of your you know, part of your time on that." So, I think what we're starting to see is that there is a leveling of, for especially very high net worths, where they're saying. These properties are worth this much if i'm going to spend that much of my time in this in my life in this and my family and lifestyle and also the way traveling is going on we're talking about coronavirus right now if you have if you have the ability to be in a, in, a, in a home where you have a lifestyle there and that's what la is you can have a home that has a lifestyle it has the gym it has the saunas you can even have a salon we saw a property recently That's that had. A, we saw a property recently where they had their own dental clinic, or not clinic, but d- dental room in the property for their dentist to come in and do the work in the house.
0: I'm just gonna say that is so
1: LA. It is so LA. It is.
0: I'm just gonna go to my dentist downstairs.
1: But you know what? You would have to drive a half hour to your dentist if your dentist comes to you. You have it in the house.
0: <laughs> just, <laughs> oh my um, god. Maybe you also
1: just expand on that a little bit. You're also seeing TikTok. You know a lot of the Silicon. Valley companies are now Silicon Beach.
0: Mm. and So we're seeing mm. more
1: and more of the tech companies that are coming Silicon into our market. Silicon Beach, I like it, Silicon Catchy.
0: Beach. 2020 is an important year. And while we don't have a crystal ball, we do have insights to factors that will move the market. It's an election year and it looks likely that Trump following his victory over the impeachment inquiry, will remain in office for another four years. Yay, not. The stock market is hitting record highs and very, very volatile, as we've seen in the past couple of days, with 600-point swings. Unemployment rates are low, and GDP is up. The global economy is struggling. Interest rates are incredibly low. With all of this in mind, what is in store for real estate in the next 18 months, in your opinion?
1: Well, you want me to have a crystal ball?
0: Go for it, buddy.
1: <laughs> if I could do this on a consistent basis...
0: You'd be very wealthy. We'd we, we have a great business together. <laughs> um,
1: you know, so I don't really have a crystal ball to look at and predict the future. But elections are certainly going to cause a lot of distractions in the market. I mean, no matter what side you're on, right? So, you know, I don't I don't think they want to ever take sides on this. But wherever you're on, it's going to affect you oh, in some way. Oh, go on, take no, a side. No, no, absolutely not. No? Um, no, not. I think there's, listen, there's buyers and sellers that are probably planning... On the waiting game to see where it all ends up
0: I don't know there's a big uptick right now yeah
1: we have seen it and but typically in most election cycles people make that excuse let's say to wait and see what happens got it
0: I mean we've got an uptick of 22% right now that's big in absorption yeah so what do you personally find to be most rewarding about your job we're going there
1: okay Um, Waking up in the morning and it's 75 degrees and sunny.
0: (laughs) That's so unfair.
1: (laughs) Um, I think the other part. You don't
0: miss that pasty, white, gray, overstressed, cloudy New York weather. I can
1: come come visit it whenever I want. (laughs) I think, I mean, the other part is probably this rewarding about the job and not the lifestyle is that we're getting to behave like a startup in many ways because we're so so new to that market. Yeah. And Howard's letting us do that. He's letting us grow the business. So that, that to me is really important that we're getting to do that.
0: Well, you guys are very entrepreneurial. I mean, that's one of the reasons why Douglas Elliman, I think, is so successful is that although it's the 100-pound gorilla with 41% plus market share in New York City with over 7,500 agents, which is the largest brokerage here, it is quite independent. People can have their own um, personality under the umbrella of a DE name. Sure. Um, What are two or one or two of the biggest lessons you've learned about the business since you've been in real estate?
1: Wow! Yeah, over twenty-nine years.
0: Now you're really dating yourself.
1: Be patient. (laughs) 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 That's a lesson I think that's really important: is to be patient, and also listen. Listening is really important. I think that we as salespeople always want to be speaking, Mm -hmm. and I think Mm -hmm. the more that you can sit back and take it in, and I think that, and one other is probably to get great people around you. If you build a strong team, you're going to be amazing. You're going to have a really strong business if you can build a really strong team.
0: Takes time for all of that, doesn't it?
1: It's you know we're talent agents in many ways. I look at it that way. (laughs) We're managing talent the same way that you know the the same way that Phil Jackson managed Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman. We have to manage talent the same way. You got to push the buttons on each person differently to get them to perform at high levels.
0: Well, I think that's the difference between staff and great management. And I think that is one of the reasons why um, I was able to develop well, was I had you as a manager in my first formative years as a broker. I would run into your office going, okay, now what do I do? And I remember you said to me, the art of nothing. Sometimes that is as important as doing. You need to sit back and wait. And that was like water torture for me, but it was brilliant. It is hard. But it's a skill. Um, are you working on some exciting new development projects that you can share with us?
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> is this where we sell?
0: This is where you put it in. You've got a few. Go.
1: Yeah. So the addition, um, which <laughs> is gorgeous, a project which we have on in West Hollywood on Sunset, which has done really, really well. We opened it up about a year ago almost sold out there. That's a great project. So that's close to the end, but still have property there that we can sell.
0: Now that's some of the highest price per square foot you've ever achieved, right?
1: We blended over 3000 a foot, which Jeez. had never been done before. Wow. And I love this, you know, when Element goes into a new market, we're always saying it's never been done before. Because we're always we're always breaking pushing. into these markets and pushing the market to the next level. I love that you so, break the
0: glass ceiling.
1: We love that. Um, the addition was a great one. The Harland is a new project that we have, which is on Doheny. For those that know Los Angeles, it's the old Pumpkin Patch site. Mm. So that's a great new project that we're doing, um, which has just opened. And then eighty-eight ninety-nine Beverly.
0: That's gorgeous.
1: So that is um, for the food lovers that are listening. Madeo's <laughs> restaurant on Beverly was in that building previously, it was an office building, it's being converted over to a condo. And we're gonna probably blend out there above the addition when we're said and done. It is a fabulous project, and we're really
0: excited about it. It is, it's beautiful. So, you know, as someone who was a high-producing, driven, very, very successful and accomplished broker in New York, how was the transition going into management? Suddenly, you're no longer a broker, and you're trying to manage 150 agents.
1: Not easy.
0: What was that like?
1: You know, it's you're not prepared for it. So you're running a business as an agent or a broker. And I had a team. I was the first team, actually, I think, in New York City.
0: Is that right?
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody had done a team before.
0: See, you're so smart. Yeah. You hung out in their offices. You got of billions of business yeah, and now you're starting they, a team
1: yeah and they weren't happy probably at that time the ownership it wasn't the same owners as now and they probably weren't happy about teams
0: but i love um, that you pushed the boundary on that
1: well i had a lot of business i couldn't support it. i needed help so i brought people on to work with me and going from that where you're managing five or six people let's mm-hmm. say and i think you know with sales it's interesting with sales, it's interesting. There's there's going to be good salespeople that don't necessarily understand or have the ability or tools to manage people as well.
0: <laughs> so I wouldn't know anything about that. Yeah,
1: you know, it's it's a skill set, and so I had the skill set. I think to a degree, I had a team that was really successful, did really well for many years, and then taking that and saying, okay, now you're responsible for 150 people. <laughs> and produce and getting them to produce. And the office that I was in as an agent I became the manager of.
0: Oh my God, that must have been such a conflict of interest.
1: I felt like I had a target on my back sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, because everybody's looking at it and saying, Huh? Why is this guy doing this, right? And for me it was I thought I'd accomplished a lot in the sales and I really wanted to do something where I was challenged. I'm always I'm always uncomfortable when I'm not challenged in some way. So I wanted to be challenged. So moving into that leadership role, I had a lot of mentors around me. I had people that helped me understand how to do it, but it's just really trial and error.
0: So uh, just a little tidbit for those of you who are listening, my first day at Douglas Salmon because I left the competitor, was the first day that Stephen Cutler was the manager, and I had had a little facial peel. <laughs> I looked like <laughs> a burn victim. <laughs> <laughs> and he was oh so uptight with me, right?
1: It was my first experience. <laughs> With an agent coming in and saying and I burst out crying. You were crying. I think I gave you some tissues and left the room for a minute and let you compose yourself.
0: That's so unfair. Um,
1: yeah, well, you know, it's um it's a different thing, right? And you have to be there for people and coach them and all the things that you want to do to make them, you know, get great, right? So yeah. it was um it wasn't easy. Yeah.
0: Well, what's your biggest vice?
1: Sugar. <laughs> Probably not a good one.
0: Probably not the least healthy you're honest choice. At about it.
1: Uh, yeah, I like sweets. I like dark chocolate. That's probably <laughs> my biggest vice.
0: It has been a treat. Thank you so much, Stephen Kotler, for coming in today. Francis um,
1: Katzen, thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs>